You're listening to The Lock-In. My name's Simon Riley. Now, I've been a market researcher for about 25 years now. Um, and my job is really about um, getting under the skin of people, uh, interviewing them up and down the country, people from all walks of life. I live and work over in uh, mainland UK, but I'm originally from Jordanstown, County Antrim, and I've always kept a strong interest in Northern Ireland. And so what I wanted to do was a series of interviews with interesting people from Northern Ireland. So that's what this is, really a series of interviews, hopefully quite in-depth interviews, um, each with an interesting person, um, each digging a bit deeper and finding out um, a bit more about what makes them tick and having some interesting thoughts, hopefully, about Northern Ireland. And in this particular series, the focus is on pro-union voices. Um, I was just really interested to dig a bit deeper with people who maybe we hear from a little bit less. These days, we're used to hearing from uh, extremes on either side. But I'm seeking out here uh, some more centre-ground pro-union voices few reasons for that. Um, I think there are relatively few outlets that focus on pro-union perspectives and really explore them. And then also I think the media tends to see the pro-union community through the lens of loyalists, the Orange Order or senior unionist politicians. I want to explore other voices from broadly pro-union perspectives, whether political or not, who may better represent ordinary kind of thinking pro-union people, in inverted commas. Um, I think it's also interesting just to explore real life and culture among people from this background in a rich way. Um, and I think uh, these should be really interesting interviews. My first interviewee is Lindsay McLaren. Now, Lindsay's a really interesting person to talk to. She's had a really interesting life and uh, has um, a fascinating perspective on things. Um, she's a UUP councillor in North Down. At the moment, uh, in the past, she's worked in the police service for quite a long time. Uh, but yeah, she's got lots to say, and uh, hopefully you'll find this really interesting. So I kicked off by asking Lindsay about how she's perceived and about how unionism is perceived. Um, I think just, uh, Simon, just interestingly there, whenever you were saying how we are perceived, and that's a real difficult one because sensationalism sells and when you have people coming out with statements that seems moderate and progressive um, because maybe just not quite as interesting um, but from my perspective I would dearly dearly love for that progressive unionism to get more of um more of the limelight because I think it's more representative of the, the, the people that live here, the unionist yeah. community who live here. Um, Do you, is, that, really, yeah. is that, is that just a sort of feeling, feeling you have or, or is that, is that something you've seen out and about in terms of people you meet, people you know? Well, I think just, just say, for example, I mean, the reason I get into politics, so as I say, I was a police officer for 18 years um, I got hurt pretty badly in the police and it got to the stage where 
it was going to be a desk job and it was just that was just not not for me and not why I joined um and then the few months after retirement was a real culture shock for me and I remember just doing the school runs um having more free time and then listening to the radio and listening to current affairs and Obviously, you've got you've got Stephen Nolan, you've got Talk Back, and and all the usual, and um, started getting really interested and engaged with what people were saying. But any time, on the rare occasion that someone phoned from Scotland or England, they too had the same opinion um, that Northern Ireland is really a a, a drain on the UK's economy and. Um, you know, they focus very much on the what they would phrase as a sort of dinosaur attitude to human rights and women's mm. rights and, you know, uh, progressive modern day life, never mind unionism, just, you know. Um, and I think, yeah, that that's a frustrating thing for me. Um because there, there is more to Northern Irish people than that. Um, it's about getting your voice out there then, isn't it? Um, yeah. And unfortunately what, 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 sometimes, yeah, no, I was just going to no. say, unfortunately sometimes to get your voice out there, it's a case of tackling head on those aspects of unionism, which I personally detest. And what are they? Tell me, tell, yeah, tell me a bit about what those aspects are that you think need to go? For me, Simon, there's unionism and loyalism are two very distinct things. And unfortunately, in my opinion, the loyalist aspect of unionism is really taking us in a hugely backward step and I don't say that with any relish because I understand that by saying that it sounds like I'm demonising the loyalist community and I'm not I'm absolutely not but I think it's a dangerous way to continue society um for me, I've always used the phrase, um, you don't need to be a Protestant or a loyalist or a royalist to be a unionist. To me, it's perfectly feasible to come from a Catholic background and to want to remain within the UK. But loyalism the extreme end of loyalism, to me, is not open to the suggestion that Catholics or other minorities are necessarily our future, you know. Um, and that's where I butt heads, and that's where I can be accused in the wrong of um, being, I mean, I've, I've been told I'm a disgrace to unionism, I'm a disgrace <laughs> to Lord Carson, I, Lord Carson would be rolling in his grave. 
But when I became a councillor, and even before I came, I became a councillor, I always had a moderate unionist um, viewpoint. And certainly I think it is my job to represent not only the PUL community, Protestant Unionist Loyalist community. Um, my my district is um, all-encompassing of, of various different religions and um, and backgrounds. And I, for example, I you know I'm I'm in in the middle of um, chatting to our local GAA club, uh, St Paul's in Hollywood, which is an incredible club. And it represents a huge um, population within within Hollywood and, and further afield, and, and youngsters go from the local schools and play Gaelic sports. And um, my background has always been sport of any kind, didn't matter what it was. Um, and yet, the minute I promote a local club, which is essentially my job as a councillor, is to promote my district. I will be absolutely demonised and um, accused of essentially accused of being a, a traitor to, to to unionism. Yeah, and I think the irony is obviously I think it was Lord Carson who actually played Gaelic. <laughs> and spoke yeah. and spoke Irish, you know. So I think somewhere along the line. We've lost where we need to be, um, and unless loyalism can start embracing other cultures and backgrounds and religions, then it will remain um, and continue to be almost um, caricatured, as, as, as the term we used earlier. Yeah, um, and will only ever be known for ban periods and. Um, Rangers tops and bonfires and um, and there's much more. There's much more to Northern Ireland. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, I'm completely with you on all on all that. And I think it, it's yeah. the thing that strikes me from over here is just and also as being a bit of an analyst of I look at the being in market research, I look at the yeah. polls and the censuses and that kind of thing, yeah. um, and how just the sheer logic of yeah. If unionism wants to do well, um, there is a growing non-aligned neither's yeah. group, and there's a 100%. lot, more, and, and there's a lot more immigrants now. There's a lot more people not from Northern 100%. Ireland living 100%. in Northern Ireland. It's not a small number anymore. Nope. And those are people that you need to appeal to. Yeah. You can't make an enemy of them. No. Um, and I also see a lot of people. Social, in, yeah. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's interesting today, for example. Um, we're getting our A-level results. I don't know if England's the same, is it? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. Or, um, I think it is. My lab was last year, so, uh, yeah, we don't have to yeah. worry this year. So, there was a big chat this morning on the radio about integrated education. So, my daughter, uh, she went to Methody. Yeah. Uh, which isn't strictly an integrated school, but it's very multicultural. Um, I remember her telling me that it wasn't until third year that she even knew what religion her friends were because it just never came up. Yeah. Um, and it only ever came up they were they were in a religious education class and they were started talking about things like abortion and and um, 
you know, things that maybe traditionally would be very difficult for the, the Catholic faith to embrace, you know, and that's the only reason why it came up. Um, and that is the reason why I sent her there. Um, but uh, integrated education for me is huge. And I think if you're starting children off in either a solely Catholic school or a solely Protestant school, you're just asking for them to remain in that lane for the rest of their life. And they will always remain fearful of what they don't understand and what they don't know. So when I was growing up, I suppose I would have been from a unionist background in so much as my parents would have voted unionist but at the same time were incredibly liberal and um, my friends actually probably mostly Catholic actually um, and where was this in Antrim Oh, interesting. Right. Yeah, I knew a few people from Antrim. I went to BRA yeah. and we had oh, a yeah, few yeah, people yeah. Came, came in from yeah. Antrim. Yeah, so a few of my, my, my daughter's friends were BRA. Um, got the bus in and out. Um, yeah, very, very liberal. Um, I, I mean, wouldn't have uh, bad at an eyelid if uh, my, my friend, for example, one of my best friends was Catholic, stayed over there on a Saturday night as a youngster and in the morning was brought to chapel. Yeah. No problem whatsoever. But they were also the days where my Catholic friends, we would have walked into town to see the bands. Yeah. You know, um, and how I don't know that, how if it was just being young and naive, but mm. to me there wasn't just as much hate. Well, I'm, do you know what? I'm quite sure there was. Obviously, that was probably the time. That would have been the time of the troubles. Maybe it was. Maybe it's more that I led a sheltered life in that respect. Well, actually, I mean, I went down from grammar, and there certainly were uh, Catholics um, at our school, but would have been. Uh, uh, there wouldn't have been that many and I think whenever it came to going to grammar school you were very much encouraged um, to go to the local Catholic grammar school which would have been St Louis in Balamun yeah yeah Um, and I remember actually my first boyfriend (laughs) um, was Catholic and his parents actually got a bit of a chat from the from the priest because he Seriously. was being sent out from grammar and that was uh, purely for logistic purposes as he lived a couple of miles away from the school and and all the rest and um, you know but I don't I think that the local priest would have very much encouraged the Catholic children who were going to the grammar to go to you know, to get on the bus and travel yeah, um, yeah. to Macfelt or or um, or Balamina. Yeah. Um, my first marriage. Um, uh, he's a Catholic, and uh, and then my uh, subsequent partner, Catholic. Um, I remember my mum saying, "You know, I have three sisters." And at one stage, all of us were Catholics. My mom said, "You know, we're not a Protestant point. <laughs> but um, 
that's what I mean by sort of being very liberal and um, there was certainly never a time, you know, if we ever brought a Catholic friend home or a Catholic boyfriend that it would have been, how dare you? Um, when unfortunately, and, and so sad, there, there, there were people who couldn't go out with anyone from the opposite religion, or it's not, it's yeah. not the opposite religion, was always yeah. perceived as. Um, nowadays, um, I'm. Mm, yeah, has it got better or worse? I'm actually not. I'm actually not too sure. Now there is a school in Bangor, uh, Bangor Academy, which has now um, taken on the integrated status, um, which I'm really pleased to see. And I think that um, has to be initiated by parents first of all. So there obviously yeah. was that appetite for integrated education. Um, uh, Prairie College is integrated. Um, then there's obviously Lagan College. Um, so I think that I think there is more of an appetite now for integrated education. Yeah, I think um, there is. I would very much encourage that. Um, we had a, a our uh, unionist councillors on the Arts and North Down um, Council. We had a, a Zoom meeting there a couple of weeks ago with the integrated. Um, education uh, and interestingly one of the, the gentlemen on the panel uh, teaches at Lagan College which was of course I think that might have been our first integrated school um, and he said in first year all the pupils learn Irish um, it's actually compulsory as a, a subject and then they can decide to, to keep it on or not. Um, and they, so I remember asking the question, does integrated, what does it essentially mean? Does integrated education mean no religion? Or does it mean facilitating all religions? And it's more the latter. Right. Um, so there still is a Christian ethos within the school but is very much um so if you come from a catholic background um you'll be able to bring those influences into school or you know yeah uh, gaelic sport is open to everyone um and i mean how can that how can that be bad yeah how can anyone say there's anything negative whatsoever um with the term integration yeah um there's you know there's just nothing and i think it it i think integration very much crumbles down those barriers you know when we talk about gaa people straight away just and this is this is going to be my problem moving on whenever i am sort of going to be promoting the local club and stuff the first argument that anyone ever makes is about the naming of the grounds. Yeah. Because a lot of the grounds are named after nationalist um, IRA men, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's always going to be a difficult one. And how, do you, how, mind, do, you, how do you square that? I mean, how do you, you know, because the GAA, well, you want to deal with the GAA we, to, be, yeah. to be open In and fair to everybody, mind, but... Yeah. Yeah. In my mind, the name of a ground doesn't 
define the club and it doesn't define what they hope to achieve. And actually, I think, um, was it Jeffrey Donaldson recently did an article about how the GA were, were trying to um, reach out to the local community? Uh, it might have been Robinson, but um, there was definitely a, a definitely a DUP um, backed article there about mm. the progression of DA within the community, and obviously was met um, with a lot of resistance. Um, went down the labelling, but um, you know, whenever I see a five and six and seven year old child out there playing hurley or or, or Gaelic football, they're not interested in what the ground is called. They know nothing about violence or the partition of Ireland or IRA or the UVF or anything. They're not interested. They just want to play sport. Um, and I think if it was a case of new clubs opening and still choosing to use those names, then we have a problem. But if you have um, a club which is very historic and it's 100 years old and it's named after somebody in the past, you know, for them to go about and change a name would be massive. And I think it's almost too big. It's in the too difficult box, if you know what I mean. So I, I, I'm very much, um, I, I treat people by their actions, and, um, and and that's how I define them. Not not necessarily by words, by by actions. And if I see a local GAA club reaching out to the community, and interestingly, the one in in Hollywood is going against everything in the GAA rulebook, and actually now sharing grounds with the local rugby club, and that's massive. Um, and again, I'm there to represent everyone within the community. So um, I think it would be appalling if I didn't um, promote that and see it as a good thing. Um, so, so yeah, that's my that's my stance. I mean, equally, you could talk mm-hmm. about Irish football. Um, my dad was a massive Blues man, Linfield. Right. Every match would have went. Every match, his family are all Blues men. And then, I'm not sure why he stopped going, but I know that my dad has no interest whatsoever in religion, as um, he, uh, I think that would actually, would be a real stumbling block for him. There's so much there, for example, in the in the nationalist community, you know, whether it's songs or art or, mu- you know, music or uh, language. Again, even their Ar- Irish language doesn't scare me one iota. Mm. And um, if my children wanted to learn Irish, not a bother, wouldn't. It doesn't erode my sense of unionism in any by any means whatsoever. And in the um, in the in the cultural sphere, because I wanted to ask you about this, what's the yeah. what what's the equivalent from you know the P, PUL community, if you like, um, it, if it's not it's not bonfires and it's not the Orange Order, etc. Um, what would you see as your kind of cultural um, sort of landmarks and 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 things that you would see as really kind of reflecting? You know, are there particular Films, yeah, books, um, or or yeah, artistic things that you think, yeah, that's really that's really me. 
Yeah, um, I think personally, I draw my inspiration from my love of Northern Ireland as an entity in itself. So, you know, I look at the incredible talent that we have produced from such a small nation of people. And I really don't care if that is a Catholic sports person or a, a, pro, a Protestant musician. Um, we've run McLenaghan there from Ards, an incredible gymnast. Um, and then I'm not saying that obviously he did. Uh, he did represent Ireland at. Was it the World Games or the Olympics? Uh, whatever, whatever it was. Yeah. Again, absolutely no bother to me whatsoever. He's a local lad from a few miles down the road, and went to a local school. And he's an incredible talent and an, an incredible inspiration to other kids. We have, you know, just even thinking from my own district, Snow Patrol. You know, yeah. I don't even know what religion Snow Patrol are. I just know they're an incredible band. Um, we have, you know, a film industry down the road. So much to be proud of. And, uh, you know, rugby, football, just, just there's so much um, on that. Yeah, I, again, just another example of where I end up getting challenged as a unionist, a moderate unionist. Um, a few months ago, I, I, I put a post out on Twitter about this incredible girl who uh, there was one day she played um, for the women's Ulster rugby team. And on one day, she I think it was a Saturday, she played um, in the Ulster uh, in the women's rugby final for Ulster. And then the following day, she played in an All-Ireland GAA final. I thought this girl is incredible. She's and what an inspiration she would be to young people and to girls because I love promoting girls in uh, girls sport and just yeah. Um, and the abuse that mm. I took on yeah. social media yeah. was yeah. unbelievable. Could I have relented and thought to myself, never again am I going to promote anything which doesn't um, solely appeal to the PEL community? Absolutely not. Because most right-minded people thought she was incredible and shared the story and thought this was an, a, an amazing girl. Um, but again, uh, disgrace to unionism, disgrace to your party. But I'm interested, you're, you're, you know, from everything that you've described, I could equally assume that you're in the Alliance Party, say, because they would probably say very similar things about integration, etc, etc. So what makes you UUP rather than Alliance? To me, the Alliance Party don't have a direction. They, they won't commit to future of Northern Ireland in any way. And to me, I find it very difficult to be able to base the running 
of our, you know, of, of Northern Ireland if we can't even say what country we wanted to be part of, you know. Um, you know, how on earth do you design your economy around that? Do you prepare for the fact there's going to be United Ireland or do you maintain the economy that we have with the UK? Um, how do you work on the protocol if you don't know what direction we're going to go in? Interestingly, I think a lot of our future, what, what I hope to be, our future voter base is currently sitting with Alliance. Mm. In my opinion, Alliance took a huge swell of voters, but they were people who could well be unionists. A lot of them say they are unionists, but it is so um, the, the the prospect of voting for the Democratic Unionist Party is so appalling because it undermines all their um, hopes for progression of human rights for women and 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 equal marriage and really the future of our our our, our children and the thought of of voting for what they believe to be archaic um insular rules um means that they won't they won't vote for for them um and unfortunately because the Austrian unionist party has decreased in numbers and in their voting base almost believe that voting for our party is a wasted vote you know and i don't yeah. say that with any pleasure at all um but at the same time i look at what have those people actually got back from giving the alliance party their incredibly privileged um, right to vote. I don't think they've got anything back at all. I really don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, and instead of seeing that as a depressive way of looking at unionism, I personally see it as a huge challenge. And I'm incredibly privileged that people uh, saw fit to give me their vote and place their faith in me. And the party have placed their faith in me in in one of a new sort of breed of unionists, if you like, more moderate and slightly younger and more progressive in their outlook, um, more inclusive of, of um, uh, an integrated um, society. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel that it's my job to then win those voters back and I am determined to do that I really am um, and I think to do that it's it's trying to get the message out there that a vote for me or a vote for one of my um, one of my colleagues who has a similar outlook is not a wasted vote by any means um, you know, I and very much Doug Beatty. I'm, I mean, if it wasn't for Doug Beatty, I wouldn't be in the Austrian Unionist Party. That's a yeah. categorical. Um, you know, he was categorically the inspiration for me getting into the Austrian Unionist Party. Yeah. 
And what's, um, he, what's he what's he done that that previous leaders weren't doing? So he's a very brave man, in my opinion. Very brave to to meet those challenges head on. He is similar to the way I would be challenged on a regular basis um, for his progressive views. Um, in trying to push the message that to be a unionist, you don't need to be part of that PUL community. And we are there as a party, not just to look after the, the, the needs of the PUL community, who are, of course, a huge, you know, a, um, a huge part of our, our, our voter base. And, and um, we will, of course, look after you know, what is assumed to be a Protestant culture or loyalist culture and, you know, but it's about allowing all cultures um, and not just pushing that one. Um, so he's very brave in that. Um, he's not afraid to admit mistakes. And that to me is the measure of a man or a measure of a person. And just sort of looking back to the comment I made earlier about I, I, I very much base my opinions on someone by their actions and not their words. Obviously, Doug has on occasion had a bit of a faux pas when he's, <laughs> when he's come out with uh, comments, um, which I know he kicks himself about afterwards. Um, but he's a passionate guy as well, isn't he? Oh, he's very passionate. But, I mean, is the... the, the the last one, what was that, about a year ago, and he said something about, you know, dry your eyes, sort of, you're like a big girl or something, or, yeah. or you know, put your girl pants on. And I could just say straight away, I could see him going, oh, no, why did I do that? And I messaged him afterwards and all, you know, but um, it was a, it was an off-the-cuff, silly, flyaway comment that I yeah. knew exactly the, the, the intention of it. He is very progressive as far as bringing women into the, the party and therefore being more representative of our community. Um, he has welcomed um, Catholic uh, people from Northern Ireland into the party. Um, he's not afraid to promote you know, even nationalist sport or nationalist language or, um, you know, he's, I think he, he's very much like me in that that does not erode his sense of being a unionist. So, yeah, that's, um, <clears throat> and I know, I know that all those who also came on board with me about a year or two years ago are all of the same opinion. It was Doug, it was Doug Beatty that very much brought us, brought us on. Yeah. Um, all I can do is hope that we can move forward as a party who isn't solely defined by the flag that we drape ourselves in, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, I was wondering, should should the flag even, should red, white and blue even be on your communications? No, this is, this is a thought, I, you know, I had a while ago, you know, MI21 happened a few years ago yeah. and then died a death, but I always thought there was something in that, of actually not very even calling much. yourself unionist. Very much. Um, flags are a hugely divisive element of the community in Northern Ireland, and obviously across the world. People live and die by a flag. Um, 
but as John Hume says, you cannot eat a flag. And no truer word is said. And I think, you know, interestingly, when I was around canvassing and I was chatting to a guy who was a, an alliance voter, but he, he was a unionist, but he voted alliance because his family's future and the quality of his life, he thought, meant more than the British identity. So we had a debate for a while and, and you know, I sold my message of inclusivity and and, and now he did then, he, was, he did, he did um, I did manage to change his mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, Lindsay, he says, you're handing me a leaflet here, which tells me all about you. And I love everything about your background and I love you've had that career and I love that you've, you're progressive and you're, you, you're inclusive and, but he says your, your leaflet's red, white and blue and it's got the, the Union Jack flag there and, you know, if I wasn't inclined to read about you or take the time to speak to you, I would look at your leaflet and I would just assume that you only represent unionism, loyalism. So, it wouldn't bother me if um, future uh, flag or sorry, future leaflets and 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 banners and and social media didn't come with a, a, a staunchly red, white, and blue background. Um, and yeah. I think it's about, but I think it's also about selling the fact that a union jack shouldn't mean shouldn't mean oppression. Because I know that that's what it does represent for some people. And it has been used in the past to encourage oppression. Um, and I'm not afraid to say that, you know. Um, I uh, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've ever listened to it, Simon. I would strongly, strongly recommend that you do. Um, and I, I recommended it to, to um, people on social media as well. It was a podcast called Year 21. It was just, it was a local radio, um, BBC, Radio Ulster, I think, um, who commissioned this. And it was basically um, the 100-year anniversary of partition of Ireland. And instead of focusing on the politics, it focused about how it influenced um, and how it affected the people within Ireland at the time. It focused on the, the, the how the uh, you know violent groups started emerging, um, and you know the, the 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 deaths, and you know there was a very heavy death toll back then. Um, yeah. My grandfather was in the RIC, and interestingly, it never would have crossed my mind that this was the reason for it. But when we looked at censuses, censuses is that a word? They were originally Monaghan, and then afterwards were Armagh. So they must have moved over the border to remain part of the UK. Yeah, my mum was born um, in Monaghan. Yeah, Monaghan. yeah, really? Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. I, you know, that was an element of my family that it wouldn't have it wouldn't have struck me. When I think back then, how would that have affected those people? They've went from being in Ireland, he was in the RIC, very much probably under threat. I think it was Lord Carton who said that the formation of Northern Ireland should not be an excuse to oppress your Catholic neighbours. Yeah. 
And yet, within a year, I think it was, of the border being formed, there was 2,000 Catholic workers from the shipyard who overnight lost their jobs to what they believe well, Sinn Féin was, was, was coming up through the ranks and things and, and, and there was a fear, there was a huge fear of that and overnight 2,000 people just like that you know so I look back and I think no wonder people were angry no, no mm-hmm. wonder people thought Protestantism was uh, a form of uh, oppression um, they felt that they were very much hemmed into these uh, small communities and um, weren't given housing rights and language rights and all the rest. You know, I'm not I'm not um, deluded enough to, to to say that that didn't happen. It did. I think by recognising the pain of the past on both sides, that's the only way that we can draw a line and, and move mm. forward. Um, do you think? Do you think? Yeah. Do you think many on the nationalist side realise that people like yourself and me don't actually really defend a lot of the, the bad stuff that happened in the nineteen twenties and thirties? Because um, it it seems sometimes like we're treated like we're all defenders of that, and actually, yeah. of course, we're yeah. not. And that's then you know, interestingly, so you see even things like the RUC. I mean, I was incredibly proud to be a police officer most proud years of my life um, protecting the people in Northern Ireland. I would then be, you know, if there was a post about the police, you would get loads of posts about the RUC and how they oppressed the Catholic community and, and all the rest. And you know what? There were mistakes made. There were loads of mistakes made. You know, subconsciously have a, 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 a bias. And the best thing that ever happened to the police service in Northern Ireland was the 50-50 recruitment. Do you think that should come so, back? I don't necessarily think there's any need for it at the minute because I think um, I finished off my days. I was a firearms instructor in the college and I I didn't ever notice um, that the new students were from one particular background. They were very mixed, um, lots of different cultural backgrounds. So I don't think it's necessary anymore. Saying that, this new worrying data breach um, may dispel Catholics from joining. I'm not sure. I hope not because um, we can't have a police service that isn't reflective of our community. Um, Yeah, I completely agree with that. But do you have like a favourite place? What's your sort of favourite place to go if you've got a free day? I've never been one for finding solace in like a beach walk or... You know, at the minute, I'm, I'm sitting here in Porto Vogue and there's a, there's a beach just two minutes there and I rarely go to it. To me, I am at my happiest when I'm with my family. It doesn't necessarily have to be anywhere in particular. I'd really actually say, one view which I suppose sticks in my mind and it's only because it's a new view for me and I remember standing and going how has this happened to my life how have I ended how has my life taken me here I remember being up at Stormont and Doug and I were standing out the front and we were doing photographs for my campaign I remember standing there everyone was chatting away and I turned around had a wee moment to myself and I looked down that avenue and I remember I did I started welling up and I didn't let anyone see but I started welling up and I thought 
never in my life did I think I would be in a position of having an influence in the future of our country and having the privilege of, of, of working from such an incredible place. Um, you almost you're standing there and you almost feel like you're in the top of the world. You know, yeah. you've got the view over, over Belfast and and further afield and um, you feel part of history, I think. You feel part of... Yeah, it's quite something, isn't it? I've only been there yeah, a couple of times, right. but um, yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it's nice having a bit of grounding and reminder reminder of why I'm in politics. And um, yeah, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, look, I think it's an amazing thing that you're doing and all part of your elbow. Um, we need more mm-hmm. people like you, I think. Oh. back home and uh, there would be no problems if everybody was uh, took the no. kind of approach that you're that you're taking unfortunately uh, quite a no, lot of people don't no I know I know and I've just I have developed a thick skin probably needs to get a little bit thicker but um, hopefully um, the future will not continue being our past I really enjoyed that chat with Lindsay there and uh, I hope you all enjoyed listening to it. Um, more to come in this series, uh, more interesting conversations, hopefully just, just as interesting as this one. Um, so join me again for the next Loch In 